Psychedelic science is exploding, and we talk to people at the forefront. So cut through the noise, converse with the vanguard. This is Mind Manifest. Hi, and welcome to the Mind Manifest podcast. My name's Niall Campbell. My wife and I were recently in Madrid at Complutense University at the invitation of a few researchers in the field of cannabinoids. Associate Professor Guillermo Velasco Diaz and Professor Manuel Guzman were both very generous with their time and they're both internationally respected figures in the field of cannabinoid research. We will be releasing my conversation with Manuel later, but the blog cast about cannabinoids in our How to Die Well series and this particular podcast I think are better in the sense that they are more systematic and do a good job of cutting through some of the semantic confusion around cannabis, which absolutely abounds online. Myself and Manuel, we thought about it from a more first principles basis, but I would highly recommend that you listen to this and then also listen to the blog cast into cannabinoids. And that plus the blog should give you a good solid foundation for any discussions that we have on this topic in the future. A bit of housekeeping, I won't be giving the guests their normal big spiel of a bio at the request of some listeners who very politely said that it was a bit of a drone. So sincerely thank you for that feedback. We, we just really want to be very responsive and just to iterate towards the type of educational podcast you actually want to hear when you're at the gym or in the car or wherever it is that you listen. Guillermo's full bio, along with links to all the resources mentioned in the episode, can be found uh, at mindmanifestpodcast.com dot com in the podcast section of our website and we'll do this for all the guests in the future i wasn't able to be in madrid for this conversation as i had to go back to ireland for a funeral and a wake and as such i would like to dedicate this episode to my late uncle seamus rest in peace with deirdre every cloud has its silver lining so you get the pleasure of hearing my wife talking to guillermo so i'd like to introduce my wife Hannah Courtauld. Hannah is a psychologist and she's the scientific director of Mind Manifest. She makes sure that everything is fact check and above board. And it shouldn't take you too long to see who is the monkey, me, and who is the organ grinder, her, of the operation. So here I'll give you Hannah's conversation with Associate Professor Guillermo Velasco Diaz. Enjoy. <laughs> Um, today I'm here with Associate Professor Guillermo Velasco, I forgot that right, yeah. <laughs> in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology in Complutense University, Madrid. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> to start off with, I'm wondering if you could fill us in on the backstory about how you got into researching cannabinoids and cancer. Well, uh, really was, uh, I mean, I was doing my PhD on a different topic, but then the lab where I was working, they changed from uh, lipid metabolism in liver, so nothing, nothing related, into the work with endocannabinoids to understand the role of endocannabinoids in the regulation of metabolism in general. And then they found uh, that some of the cannabinoids from the plant. They were killing some of the cancer cells they were working with as a model. 
So then this group started to work on the role of cannabinoids in cancer in general. So I was, when I was returning from my postdoc, I came back to the same group where I did the PhD. So they were starting to work on that. And then it was, I thought it was a very interesting topic, uh, particularly trying to understand how these compounds were producing cancer cell death and well, the potential uses in the treatment of cancer patients and we could improve that. So then I started a line of research on, on that topic and then still continue quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It hasn't, um, it's obviously there's a lot more to research yet, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, there's a lot, yeah. Yeah, and when you first uh, heard about the topic, were, were they finding those that cannabinoids were working, was it in plant models or was it in animal models? Yes, um, well, firstly, the first uh, observations were in cells, yes, in culture, mm-hmm. but then normally this type of research moves to animal models of cancer. So normally you implant the tumors in mice or in rats, and then you do the treatments to see whether the treatment is reducing or even completely preventing tumor growth. So that's normally the the methodology. So yeah, the initial observations supported the idea that some of the cannabinoids from the plant, particularly Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol of TAC, was able to reduce tumor growth. And then the initial observations done in this, in this faculty were done in glioma, in one subtype of brain cancer. Then we continue with this work, but we also did other models. So there are studies supporting that. There could be anti-cancer activity in different animal models of cancer, including models of breast cancer or prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer melanoma, many, many tumor types. Mm-hmm. So really, the, the world has been expanding because different labs all around the world started to work on these anti-cancer activities. And then they found at least that in animal models seems to work. And so that was the starting point of the story. But obviously, the people are developing and doing things in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying that they found the endocannabinoids THC and... CBD, was it? Well, initially, uh, the, the initial observations were more on TAC only. THC. Mm-hmm. And the endocannabinoids, they can also produce cancer cell death, but normally the best effect is obtained with TAC. Then later, because we did the studies for quite a long time, so then we also started to work with CBD. And most, I mean, most of the cells were actually on the combination of TAC and CBD, because that's probably more similar to what is present in, in extracts, but also because probably the most potent compound in terms of producing cancer cell death is TAC, whereas CBD, although it has got some anti-cancer activity, but I think it's, it's better the combination, because from the pharmacological point of view, you can produce less side effects but keep the same anti-cancer activity or in general the same therapeutic properties. So that's why I think that's a good combination. So Whereas is, CBD is one alone kind of better for the side effects than you know the actual cancer cell death, or is it? No, what I mean is when one is using TAC uh, for treating, for treating, for instance, cancer in animals doesn't matter so much because the side effects in terms of psychoactivity. Um, affecting less the animals in general, although you could also get something. But in terms of a patient, 
when they are using extracts, if they are containing high amounts of TAC, then it's most like most more likely that they get high. Oh, it depends a lot on the on the person. Uh, however, when you use something that has more balanced amounts of TAC and CBD, they get less high. Let's say. But then, regarding the potential therapeutic application of these extracts, the best established would be for attenuating the side effects of chemotherapy. So it's true that this is quite well established to reduce cancer-associated pain, to stimulate appetite, or to to and to inhibit the sensation of vomiting or or wasting all these things associated to to chemotherapy or to cancer in general. So this is quite well established and in general many patients prefer combination of TAC and CBD rather than TAC alone, but that's depending on the person. And then on top of that there could be an additional potential anti-cancer activity that is well it's not still completely demonstrated. I mean, it's demonstrated in animal models, but there are no large clinical studies done in humans that really can verify that this is something general. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the use of cannabinoids for cancer, one can separate in between the best established applications that would be related to pain, vomit, or appetite stimulation versus the not so well established but promising that would be the anti-cancer activity. One of the things that we do is go straight to the researchers. This conversation was held in a lab and Hannah is quite well up on the research. So she and Guillermo had a chat about ongoing work with glioblastomas. It's a very aggressive type of brain tumour. Now, another thing we always do is let the guests listen to the transcript of the podcast. We aren't interested in editing their views to make them look better or worse or to fit some agenda that we have. Our goal is to have the guests feel that the content we put out into the world is responsible and is the best possible representation of what they actually think. We want people to talk very freely to us, and giving them this confidence allows them to do that. Collectively, both me and Hannah and the team at Competency, uh, Guillermo in particular, have decided not to include this section of the conversation because we believe that the master variable should be scientific findings and not speculation. Things are clearly looking very promising, in the field of cannabinoid research, but part of the problem we feel is that promising findings are often talked about on platforms and then journalists put two and two together and get 65 and just puff up some story about miracle cures or report the findings into the lowest possible resolution. We don't want to insult your intelligence to do that. You do not need to be spoon-fed more speculation. There's plenty of other platforms that will do that. But just in case you were wondering why the conversation jumps around a bit that is why uh, studies are ongoing and as such when we go to the cool face of research discussions we get into this and in the field of aggressive illnesses we believe that people should not be given false hope timelines about treatments actually being in the hands of patients very massively Uh, we believe we should only talk about research when all the results are in and they are found to be statistically significant otherwise we feel it is irresponsible scientific journalism We'll be checking back in with the team in the future to responsibly and even handily report on any findings they have and we want you to, to know that we have no other agenda other than to do this. So anyway, back to the conversation with Guillermo. He and Hannah were 
slap bang in the middle of his lab so you can hear the postgrads in the background coming out of a lecture. So apologies about that, but the universities are busy places and Guillermo's a particularly busy man. So Hannah asked him in a more generic way what endocannabinoid research actually look like, looks like, for example, in terms of methods of administration of the substances and dosages given. They are going to do like a titration. So they start by low doses and then they increase the doses gradually until they reach the maximum that could be different for each patient. So the maximum amount that is thought to be delivered is 80 milligrams of CBD and 80 milligrams of TAC per day per patient. But it's very unlikely that these doses would be rich in all patients because normally most of the treatments for even for the case of Sativex, they never go farther than 30 milligrams of TAC and 30 milligrams of CBD per day or 32 approximately. Mm-hmm. So most likely not everybody will be able to reach these doses. Um, and that's one of the things that we need to see also in the study. What are the best tolerated doses for the patients um, and then see whether this is really effective or not. Great, and where do you see this all going? What, do, you, do you believe that this could be a, a cure, essentially? It could lead to a cure for I cancer? think it could be an improvement on cancer, on the survival of the patients, but I don't think it's going to be, to be a cure for this particular type of tumor, or maybe only for some individuals. Because the history of, of this type of brain cancer in particular, of cancer in general, but for glioblastoma, is very disappointing for many different treatments that have been assayed for, for the years. And it's true that the survival of the patient has not increased significantly in the last 40 years. So, I mean, one has to be realistic that maybe only by adding cannabinoids we won't be able to cure all patients. But the idea is maybe we can improve a bit the response of, of a significant number of patients. And then for some of them, maybe we can find why they are responding the best. And maybe for some of them, we can do like a significant improvement on quality of life, on the survival of the patients. So maybe we can find like a subgroup of patients that could respond well. I think that's the strategy in modern oncology in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think cannabis may be one additional tool for the oncologist to fight some cancer types. That would be the, the idea. Mm-hmm. And specifically in the case of glioblastoma. Mm-hmm. And how does it work? What do you think, I mean, from your research, what is the mechanism of action? How do the endocannabinoids Well, help? yeah, we have investigated that quite a lot, we and, and other groups. Um, I mean, there are three main mechanisms. One of them is because they produce cancer cell death. The other thing that they seem to do is normalize um, angiogenesis. So angiogenesis is the the mechanism that tumor and general tissues use to create to, new to blood, new blood exactly. Yeah, yeah. To distribute oxygen and and, and blood in general and, and nutrients. So when a tumor is growing, normally they generate a special type of disorganized blood vessels. And cannabis seems to help to inhibit this process and keep something that is more normal, so they help to reduce tumor angiogenesis. 
And then they also seem to help on reducing tumors and migration. That is also something that participates in metastasis. In the case of these type of brain tumors, there is no metastasis because they never come out of the brain. So that's very special. But they spread around the brain. So you could also potentially block that. And then we investigated a lot what are the signaling pathways that are being activated when cancer cells are being treated with cannabinoids. So for instance, in the mechanism of cancer cell death, we found a quite, quite complex pathway that involves cannabinoid receptors, then uh, upregulation of different genes, and the levels of these genes are enhanced or increased. And then what you does have, that mean, sorry, upregulation? It uh, means that the levels, the amounts of the proteins that are encoded by these genes are increasing. So, for instance, uh, using a normal process in the body, uh, for instance, food intake. So when you are eating, your metabolism needs to adapt to the fact that you have nutrients. So what happens? You have increased levels of insulin. So that means that the levels of this hormone in the blood are higher. And this hormone, what it does is talking to the different tissues, so to the liver, to the muscle, to the adipose tissue, to tell you have to store all these nutrients. So take the glucose into the liver, take the glucose into the adipose tissue, take the glucose into the muscle tissue, and then you adapt to these circumstances. And then what, what do these tissues do with this message? What they do is, for instance, all the enzymes that are involved in accumulating fat or on generating glycogen or on processing glucose, they are upregulated. That means the levels are higher, so the pathway, um, the route is more increased. So you accumulate more, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that's very general in the response of the body to different signals. So in this case, the signal will be cannabinoids are touching the surface of cancer cells, and then they are able to activate a program where, well, different genes, different proteins are changed, but are changed in a manner that they trigger cancer cell death. And, well, many things occur within the cell, but one of them is the activation of a, of a process that is called autophagy. So autophagy, as the name explains, is the self-digestion of part of the cellular content. Mm -hmm. uh, this could be sometimes an adaptive process to a situation, for instance, like a starvation. It would be at the cellular level. If a cell doesn't have nutrients, the cell has to digest some parts of the own cell mm -hmm. to make sure that they have nutrients and energy to continue. So it eats itself. Yeah, a little bit, but not completely. But sometimes if you overactivate this pathway or you do it in a precise manner that we have identified, then this leads to cancer cell death. So what we found is that cannabinoids, by interacting with cannabinoid receptors, with, with these proteins that recognize cannabinoids in the surface of the cells, in particular in cancer cells, they trigger all this signal that leads to activation of autophagy associated to cell death. Mm -hmm. So that's very important for the mechanism of cancer cell death, at least in the case of glioma and some other tumor types. Cancer cells and normal cells, they respond very differently to the treatment with cannabinoids. So in one case, 
normal cells are normally even protected by treatment with cannabinoids because cannabinoids, when they interact with cannabinoid receptors in the surface of these cells, they promote signaling pathways that are facilitating cell survival. For instance, there are many examples of neurons in the context of neurodegenerative diseases like Huntington or Alzheimer, where treatment with cannabis actually helps to protect the cells against this neurodegenerative disease. So it protects normal cells. Exactly, mm-hmm. or protects uh, the circuits in the brain that permits the survival of the cells. So in general, they are considered to be neuroprotective. Mm-hmm. However, in the, context, in the context of cancer cells, also acting through cannabinoid receptors, they seem to produce a completely different response. So they produce cancer cell death. So we know that in one case and in the other case, the signaling pathways activated within the cell, so the proteins that are activated or the roots that are being upregulated, as we said before, so they increase levels, they are different. But we don't know why the same receptors are triggering different signals in non-transformed cells versus cancer cells. And that's one of the things that many people are investigating. We are trying to, to identify what are the, the key mechanisms that determine that. But it's not simply that some of the cells have cannabinoid receptors and the others don't. There is something else that probably has to do or with the metabolism of the cancer cell that is very different, with the type of other proteins that are in the surface of the cell that are also interacting with the cannabinoid receptors, or it's with the recruitment of signaling proteins at the level of the receptor. So the receptor is in the surface of the cell. When the cannabinoid binds the receptor, within the cell there are many things that are being changed. So there are proteins, there are different components of the cell that are being recruited. They are approaching to the place where the receptor is, and then they are involved in the signaling on the activation of all these mechanisms. But these proteins might be different in cancer cells and in non-transformed cells. So we believe that this is the key point. But it would be much simpler. It's as you said, it's just some of the cells have cannabinoid receptors and the other not. And because cancer cells have cannabinoid receptors, then one can trigger something on these cells. But it's not so simple. Sometimes science is like that. <laughs> or nature. Yeah. If only it was just so simple. Um, so what, what is your hunch? What do you think? What do you mean in terms of...? In terms of these, um, the reason why you know, there are different signals? Um, yeah, I think it's a combination of all these things. So I think it's because, first, cancer cells are very different from normal cells. Metabolically, they are doing things much more rapidly. Also, they express different amounts of proteins. So there are many changes. So I think some of the changes affect to the way that cannabinoids may signal. That's why we are activating this other pathway. Whereas in normal cells, where things are normal, uh, let's say the, the body has adapted to have the endocannabinoid system working normally, and it's well established that it's playing protective roles, not only at the cellular level, but also at the organism level. So it's involving appetite stimulation, it's involving pain reduction, is involved in control of movement, is involved in relaxation, but that's the normal function of the endocannabinoid system. So 
it's quite logical that this is in general protective and then the normal cells are adapted to this. However, when the cells are transformed and become cancer cells, there are many changes. They don't behave like normal cells anymore. And probably as a consequence of, of these changes is when cannabis can trigger completely different signals. So my, my idea is that they are recruiting different proteins at the level of the receptor in a context that is metabolically different. And this combination of factors is what determines this. But now we need to identify the precise molecular mechanism that is really involved and it's just, that's more complex, let's say. Mm-hmm. One thing's coming really? out hypothesis and the other. <laughs> Too complex for me to understand. <laughs> Maybe not yeah. other things, but... Um, so when you talk about THC um, and CBD in combination, how is that different to say if you just smoked marijuana? Um, I mean, when you smoke marijuana, the levels of THC and of CBD may increase, uh, they, they actually increase in your blood and in your body in general. The only thing is that you don't know how much because you don't know what is the precise dose that you are using. So I think in terms of doing therapeutic applications of marijuana in general, one important point is quantification, dosification, because that's exactly what whatever patient is looking for when he's going to the pharmacy. So they go to the doctor and the doctor says, take, no, no, whatever milligrams of paracetamol or whatever milligrams of this antibiotic, because this has been already calculated and you need these doses in order to get cured or in order to, to target you know, the microbes or whatever you want to target. So I think when we are thinking on medical marijuana, we should also look at dosification because each patient may require different doses, particularly in this case that some people could get high, some others may, maybe not. So it would be good to have like medical advice in order to recommend the appropriate doses. So it's much easier to have doses on an extract or something that you are doing vaporization because it has been previously quantified. If you smoke a joint, it depends on what was the origin of the, of the cannabis or how much you put. You don't know how much is actually reaching your body. So I think for recreational purposes, it's perfect because one can titrate the effect that wants to get. But for medical purposes, the important is getting the, the proper dose. So I think one could do it or with the pure compounds or with extracts or with preparations, but that have been quantified. So the user, the patient in this case, can know exactly what are the doses that are going to be found. So if I take these few drops, then getting these milligrams, that is actually the amount that I want to get these effects. So I think that's the key for medical marijuana, to have quality controls and also quantity controls, let's say, so that we know how much we are dealing with and also that there is good quality, that there are not contaminants, there are not pesticides, so there are not all things. Do you have any colleagues um, internationally who work in countries where it is medicalized? And oh, well, yes, I think, I mean, now there are quite a few now, so there are people working in the United States in some of the states where it's legal. Does that change their research much? But it's curious because at the level of the United States, uh, uh, federally, it's, it's illegal. 
That means that because all universities and research centers, they receive federal funds, they could lose their, the funds if they go into an investigation that is not legally authorized mm -hmm. federally. So you go to Colorado, it's very easy to buy cannabis for recreational purposes or for medical purposes, but it's almost impossible to do public research with cannabinoids there because this is banned. And then the universities or research centers would be in risk of losing federal funds if they go into this investigation. It's crazy. It's crazy. However, in Spain, it's illegal to go in the market and to buy for recreational purposes or even for medical applications, although there is some tolerance by the government, but it's not officially legal. However, you can get permission without too many problems to get the active components and work in the lab to doing research. Okay. So it's just almost it's specular images. So <laughs> yeah. you have one thing but not the other. Wow. But I mean, there are more and more countries like Italy or Germany or um, in Europe, Austria, Czech Republic. There are many countries that are starting to go into approval of medical programs. So that might make it easier. Then Uruguay and obviously Canada. Canada is the one that is has already approved everything, basically, recreational or medical, but still they are doing research because they want to understand how this is working in the patients. Mm -hmm. So they have programs to really follow that and not administering to all patients, mm -hmm. but only to the patients that in principle would be in a situation where this, is, this could be a need. So normally the doctors say like second line or third line therapy. So first line therapy would be the therapy that you administer the patient, like the first option, because it's a standard. But for, for instance, for chronic pain, in many cases that doesn't work well. So the patient need to go for a second line approach or third line sometimes. So normally in these cases is when cannabinoid seems to work well, because this is an alternative to what the patient normally use, but then because it's not working, maybe sometimes it's working better. Cannabinoids alone or cannabis in combination with the other drugs. So that's normally what the people are doing. Obviously, once in a country with a program that facilitates medical marijuana, it's much easier to, to learn more things. Because obviously there are a lot of things that need to be investigated yet. So there are large clinical trials for some applications, but not for everything. So if, no one, can, if one can do it for any application where the patient may receive it, then you could do a real follow-up of the patient and do analysis that allow you really to understand what's going on. So, so that would be much better. Is that why you like to see Spain? Headed? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are trying to fight for that. So we created together with patients and other researchers and, and medical doctors, uh, what is called uh, Spanish Observatory for Medical Cannabis. Sorry? A Spanish Observatory for Medical Cannabis. In Spanish would be Observatorio Español del Cannabis Medicinal. So it would be like an institution aimed at observing, on one hand, how is the situation, uh, but also particularly trying to lobby to convince the government and the regulators that it would be very important to do their regulation of medical marijuana. So that would, it would be first giving guarantee to the patients that they may have access 
to good quality cannabis extracts that contain the right amount of cannabis, that they don't have any contaminants, pesticides or anything, and they don't have, they don't have to go to the black market. So if you have this authorization, then you could also have authorization to the medical doctors to, uh, to give this or to, to provide uh, prescriptions to the patients. Um, and obviously that also would generate a, an industry um, at a different scale that that's a, an industry that can provide actually the cannabis for the use of the patients. So I think it would be complete advantage for everyone, but particularly for the patients, because there are many patients, particularly with chronic pain, that they don't have a real solution to their condition. They realize that using cannabis improves their quality of life, but they cannot get medical cannabis officially. So they have to go in Spain to the clubs that are pseudo-legal, or you have to go to the black market, so you, don't, you are not getting something that has good quality. And then they are on risk, so really, I mean, there's, there is tolerance by the police for the patients, if they are really patients. But still, you need to deal with something that is illegal, so, mm -hmm. and it's your health. It's, you, it's a condition that maybe is very painful for you or it's really tough to deal with. Mm. And then on top of that, you need to deal with the fact that the only medicine that is working or, or helping to improve your condition mm -hmm. is illegal and then you have to do complicated things to, to get it, so. I don't know if you heard, there was a story recently about a mother who um, brought some in illegally to Northern Ireland, I think, or maybe Ireland. Um, and it was for her son's, uh, he was having seizures and um, she made a big scene essentially and that seems to have got the government looking at least at, at this issue which is, um, it's interesting just how one case can kind of almost shift people's perspective or yeah. shift government perspective. Yeah, normally this is the, the way that, as you said, people's perspective perspective is shift because or it's like the case of Charlos Webb oh, it's the same thing you all of a sudden realize that really is changing someone's life so what is the excuse for not doing that just uh, prejudgments on mm, that drugs are really bad and marijuana is one drug that is very bad yeah, but maybe it's not that bad maybe it's bad for some people but for some others it's good so as many other things in this war or many other medicines, because if you read the, the instructions, or let's say the, you know, the characteristics of any medicine that you buy in the pharmacy, you have a long list of potential side effects, potential undesired effects that are you know, of all type, but still the people are using that. So I think this would be the same thing. Obviously there, are, there could be pros and cons, but for some people it would be a solution to their conditions. So. So simple, no? All right, well, is there anything else that um, you think that it would be important for our listeners to know about your research or um, any way they could support? Yeah, I think the most important is, I think, being not biased on one way or the other. So I think um, cannabinoids are family of compounds that have a lot of potential for the treatment of different diseases. But they are, they are not a magical drug that is going to cure everything. Uh, but obviously there are two positions in the society. The ones that believe, well, there are many, but 
two extremes. One, uh, people who believe that it's good for everything and even the children should have marijuana constantly. And the others that think that it's a venom and nobody should take it and it's very well positioned in scheduled one to avoid that anyone is using it for any purposes. I think both positions are a bit ridiculous. The reality is that science is showing that cannabis have the potential, in the case of medical application, to cure or to help uh, dealing with some diseases. We need to make use of, the, of this situation and explain very well how it's working and seeing in which patients, in which condition, it's going to be good. For some applications, it would be good. For some others, maybe it's not that good. Or some others, maybe you don't need to use it. And in terms of the potential use for recreational purposes, it's the same thing. So the people need to be aware of the disadvantages of the potential side effects, or particularly for, for adolescents or people who are young, the brain is not formed, so there is a real risk of doing a reposition of neuronal circuits and then making the people more susceptible of having some types of mental diseases. That's the reality. It's not something very strong, but it's strong enough as for being a worry. So mm -hmm. I think we need to be aware of that or being aware that not everybody who is smoking marijuana is going to feel so well or you are going to, to have short-term, um, the short-term memory is being affected sometimes the capacity to work is affected, so that's a reality. Mm -hmm. So it's not good for everything, but it's not also bad for everything. You cannot say to people, what well, is everybody's going to get schizophrenic, or is going to be psychotic, or is going to have a lot of problems of concentration. Well, I mean, it could be a risk, but, but the, the people need to have the real scientific information in order to take a decision for one thing or for the other. Mm -hmm. And I think we need a lot of science and and, and not so much patient on this. I think it doesn't have to do with beliefs. It has, has to do with science and demonstration of facts and then putting the things in, in the balance. I know that Niall has just written a blog about, you know, on this topic and he was getting so frustrated because he had to wade through so much kind of <laughs> BS, just yeah, kind yeah. of non-scientific nonsense. Yeah, online. yeah. To in try one side or in the other, yeah. yeah. Information um, that's actually scientifically validated. Yeah, yeah, I've been to many meetings on where you have these cannabis fanatics. So they are like, it's good for everything. Everybody should take it constantly. Well, I mean, it's not like that. But then you face some political positions from people that deny something that is already demonstrated scientifically. Even the, the Minister of Health of this government said that there was not enough scientific support to some of the, the therapeutic applications of marijuana that are already approved, because there are medicines containing the active principle of marijuana that have been already approved, for, even for a Spanish regulatory agency, for the treatment of multiple sclerosis. So that means that this is already a medicine. We are not inventing the wheel. It's something that is already there. And other countries have already approved medical marijuana for many applications. So what's the point in you saying there is not enough scientific support? You are not a scientist, that's the first thing. So you don't know. And it's ridiculous that you say that because you are a representative of I don't know, all Spanish populations. So you need to be very well informed on these things. So I think, yeah, there is 
people who are not being sensible with this topic in both sides. So the ones that are against it because they they care, mm -hmm. this is very dangerous. And the others that are saying, oh, no, use it like water because it's the best thing we are in the nature because we got adapted with marijuana. I think none of them is true. It's just science would be the the leading the leading here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and and I think yeah, um, you're like I tried to to go through some of your research, and it's very uh, it's amazing, but it's very heavy yeah, to read. Imagine. And I'm wondering if you have um, anything online or anywhere where people could go that it's quite accessible to yeah. understand like what you're researching. For instance, I wrote for for Kanna Foundation, that is an association that they have like, um, well, they are on, their interest is on, well, or measuring levels of cannabinoids in different extracts to make sure that people have safe access to cannabis. But they also have this part that is about informing the people on that. So they have a lot of information on that. For instance, I brought for them a text on potential application of cannabis for cancer treatment. So it's I think Kana it's Kana much Foundation. more, yeah. Cannafoundation.com? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they have, there is a lot of information there. For instance, that's more or less accessible for. Great. For we'll everyone. provide a link for people. Fantastic. Well, um, yeah, again, thank you very much. I know you're a very busy person, so it's really kind of you to give us your time. Yeah. Okay. All the best so with your welcome. research. I hope, it, I hope you get it through very soon. Hopefully, things will go well. So, thanks for listening, and as I said before, this lab is very dynamic and involved in some important research which is ongoing, so we will be checking back in with them when they are truly ready to talk about their findings, but we wish them all the best with their work. If you could do us a massive favour and give us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever it is that you listen, that would really help us out. We have to counteract all the nonsense out there somehow, so also please share this with people who you think need to know. Uh, both of those ways of helping us would really mean a great deal to us. And until next time, take care.